Welcome to Adventures in Evaluation Podcast with James Coyle and Kylie Hutchinson. Hi, I'm James Coyle. I'm an internal evaluator with a large regional health authority. And I'm Kylie Hutchinson. I'm an external evaluation consultant currently working as an internal evaluator in Africa for six months. And together we are Adventures in Evaluation. Hey, Mr. Coyle, how are you? I'm doing well. What's up, Hutchinson? You coming home soon? I'm coming home in two weeks. And um, yeah, you can imagine there's a lot to do. I've just spent beautiful, beautiful Sunday cooped up here in this stinking hot office while everybody else went out and had fun swimming because I've got all these deadlines to do. And the only one to keep me company is the cutest little two-inch gecko that just crawls around on my desk. Oh, well, that's cool. It must uh, keep the cricket I can hear in the background company again, too. Yeah, I don't mind them because, you know, they eat the mosquitoes, so that's all good. Yeah. So I hear you've got someone special for us to talk to today. Is that correct? Yeah, totally special. Today we have Heather Buchanan, who's a senior consultant at JUA Management Consulting Services. Uh, she's been heavily involved in the Canadian Evaluation Society um, she's been uh, at least or more two terms president for the national chapter. And what I really want to pick her brain about is the whole area of the competency work that was developed. So all those uh, evaluation competencies that uh, we've talked about uh, throughout our show. Yeah, this will be great. And I've got my questions lined up for her as well. So let's let's bring in Heather. We're absolutely thrilled to have you on uh, the podcast because, as James mentioned just before you came on, we've been referring to the evaluator competencies quite a bit in other podcasts. And and so when James said, you know, let's talk to Heather and just find out a little bit about them, how they were developed and that process, et cetera, I said, yeah, this is great. Well, thanks for inviting me. So did you want to just um, introduce yourself briefly and just give us a short background about yourself? Okay, happy to. Um, I'm an independent consultant. I'm based in Ottawa. I do about 50% domestic and about 50% international work, all related to kind of the broader umbrella of performance management. Um, uh, But primarily consider myself an evaluator by profession. It's just that some of my background goes into a sort of an organizational development area, which I find fits quite nicely when you're using evaluation and program uh, design as opposed to the evaluation phase. Um, So I've been doing consulting for 15 years um, and sort of did my life backwards. I had a 20-year career in a provincial crown corporation and then left and traveled around the world and then went to university and then set up consulting. That doesn't sound backwards. It sounds like a smart plan right there. (laughs) Well, I found it a good way to do it. It A bit non-traditional, but it was, uh, I loved it. It's Mm -hmm. uh, and falling into evaluation has been just uh, such a great uh, accident. So I've mentioned to our audience that um, you've done at least two terms, I think, as a president of the uh, national chapter, uh, the capital chapter. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Yes. And you've been involved in the professional development committee uh, at the National Council. And uh, you've, of course, been involved in the professional designation work. Um, yes. Tell us a bit about the actual competencies themselves and, and you know, how they were developed and what, what your involvement was with those. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, certainly the um, issue of competencies has a, uh, has a fairly long 
um, tradition in the Canadian Evaluation Society uh, beyond my personal involvement, which really started in about 2007. Um, I was vice president on National Council mm -hmm. at the time that the uh, CES decided to move forward with a and explore the creation of a credentialed evaluator designation. So you, you may recall that that process started in 2006 with an open, an open RFP asking for um, research on yeah. the potential for a professional designation. Yeah, that's right. That there was a consortium of uh, fairly senior folks across Canada that put together a report in 2007 that recommended we go to certificate, we proceed, and that we actually implement certification. But National Council did not feel that our community was really at a point in its maturity where we could sustain or, or support um, a certification process. So it agreed to explore creating a credential. Right, um, right. So as part of that, um, we were asked in the first instance to do a crosswalk of competencies and our um, the professional de designation um, core committee felt that we had ethics, standards and competencies were the three pillars upon which we could build a credential. So that's that's really how it how it got a lot of um, attention is that we felt CES needed to have clearly adopted and accepted ethics standards and, and competencies. And the crosswalk that was done um, by the core committee in 2007-2008 uh, really compared some key sources of information um, on competencies around the world and tried to discern whether or not there was overlap or gaps between these different sources. Right. So I think when I look at the competencies, and we'll post links, uh, Kyle and I will, to all the different sources of things we'll talk about today. But when I look at the Canadian competencies that um, the Canadian Evaluation Society has hosted, there's a little footnote there, and it refers to, I think, a 2005 article by um, Laurie Stavan, Jean King, Gail Gare, and uh, Jane Minima around establishing essential competencies. Mm -hmm. So did you look at that and many, many other things, or what was the sort of link or the seminal piece of work that, that sort of well, catalyzed we, yours? Yeah, we, I would have to say that, that, um, that well, that's why it's referenced so um, uh, so broadly in the wherever the competencies are published is that we really did find that to be um, an extremely comprehensive and, uh, as you say, seminal piece. The Jean King and, and Laurie Stefan <coughs> um, essential competencies in 2005. So when we did the crosswalk, what we did is compare what kind of knowledge was in used as a basis for the essential skills series, which is the flagship course for CES. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which Kylie knows all too well, right, Kylie? Yes, you've taught it as well. <laughs> Yes, I do. So we, we compared, we, we really started with that piece by Jean King and, and her colleagues because we felt that it really was um, the culmination of a lot of research by some very competent people. And we really liked the um, essence of how it, how it was organized and what it, you know, what it captured. Mm -hmm. We compared it to ESS and then we compared it to the CBK, which was a piece of research that was commissioned by CES on core pieces of knowledge within the Canadian community. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you recall that piece, but it uh, it was done by uh, Rochelle Zorzi, kind of led that initiative. So we compared that and then we went to the uh, Treasury Board suite of competencies, which has evolved since, this, since that time, but it, we were looking at a 2002, 2005 piece 
and then compared uh, as well to the AEA guiding principles, um, the joint standards, and the UN had just developed a group of core competencies for evaluators within the UN system. So it was that comparison that allowed us to then draw and manipulate what you see in these five domains. Um, and where it differs most from the um, Gene King's uh, piece, I think, is in the situational practice. That's and how we articulated, first of all, the reflective practice and then the situational practice. I'm interested to understand how, how easy or hard this was going back now. You know, one of the things that uh, we, we often look at this and go, great, how convenient is this? How uh, robust is it? How well-rounded? And we don't think about all the hard work and and uh, you know, blood, sweat, and tears that went into developing this, but I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it wasn't just easy to do and something you could whip off overnight. No, it wasn't because one of the objections within our community to even exploring a credential was that it was. Some felt that it wasn't possible to have generic competencies for the evaluators, mm. that, or else it would um, either not give enough attention to uh, methodological slants, such as the quantitative versus qualitative approach, or enough um, credence and value on the sector-specific folks. I'm a health evaluator. I'm an education evaluator. So that was our challenge, is trying to come up with competencies that were meaningful but not uh, um, exclusive. So I wanted to ask you, Heather, then, given that quite an extensive and um, lengthy process, did you find that any any of them tended to be more challenging than others in terms of getting consensus on or anything like that? Well, we did, as you say, we did go through a, a pretty detailed process. We did a survey of all CES members. We had consultation sessions in every chapter and a chapter briefing on their position on the competencies. Then once we did a set of revisions, it went back out to the fellows and the award winners within the, C the Canadian community. Um, and then we had about 35 volunteers on the professional designation project that uh, did it. And the, even though these five domains and 49 competencies are there, the tough piece, Kylie, was in the descriptors. And I'm not sure if that's as well known a document. It's on the website. And it was, it really has um, three to three to seven bullets associated with each of the 49 competencies. So it describes what's meant by that competency. And that's where we found more um, uh, discussion and, uh, you know, the extent to which, for example, the, the technical practice that kept growing and growing. Uh, and as you can see, it ended up at 16 competencies. Um, and then others who use evaluative uh, evaluative skills, but within a programmatic context, really wanted to beef up the situational practice. And I think one of the contentious ones was um, challenging, uh, speaking truth to power that in the reflective practice, that was that was a uh, um, an important addition between the first and second revisions. So, Heather, when you say the, the descriptors, the three to four bullets per competency, are these the ones that we read when we were filling out our CE application? Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, because I, I know earlier James, you know, 
made some comment about how we were all kind of happy to to see all these competencies and frankly my first my first exposure to them was slogging through my CE application and I was really kind of gritting <laughs> my teeth and cursing the whole thing but I don't know if you've listened to our the very first podcast that we did where we talked about um, our experiences filling out the CE application and at the time you know yeah the competencies weren't my most favorite thing in the world but boy dad did I ever find that a valuable exercise professionally in terms of identifying areas you know that I had strengths in and areas where you know professionally I felt a little bit weak and so those descriptors were absolutely critical for me to be able to go through that process and the descriptors was an extremely onerous process and one of the reasons uh, it was led by Bridget uh, Maker from the New Brunswick chapter but in that committee we had like three subcommittees a credentialing subcommittee infrastructure and a um, outreach subcommittee within the professional designation project and there was some of the people who were not as favorable about a credential did volunteer for this work and they were the ones that really held a strong challenge function in the um in the development of those descriptors that that was a lot of work i mean i can't I can't overemphasize enough and develop that. I know this, I'm talking about the credential now, but that was over 450 days of volunteer time across 35 people across Canada. Yeah. Yeah. That's significant. That, that's, that's a $350,000 project done for free. Yeah. Like I said, we'll put all these up on online. Um, and, and for, for those who are familiar with the competencies, they'll know what five, but we should probably list them. Um, the first one is reflective practice. Uh, the second one is technical practice. The third one is situational practice. The fourth one is management practice. And the fifth one is interpersonal practice. I wanted to ask you a bit about the situational practice. How come that one stood out as a, as a little bit uh, different? Uh, that, that's a good question. I think because what we were using as a seminal piece came out of the AEA, the American Evaluation Community, and um, I'm not sure if you're you're familiar, the, the, the demographics of our two communities is very, very different. Um, we we're a highly practice-based community in Canada as compared to the highly academic-based community in the American Evaluation Association. Mm. And what we found is the situational practice was um, our members spent a lot of time. I mean, they were there's evaluators who have not done evaluations for, you know, a year or two, but they do all kinds of evaluative work. And that wasn't necessarily the case coming out of the uh, literature that we were using as a foundational piece. We didn't find that there was enough of an emphasis on what our community um you know, is is very much involved in and absorbs a great deal of our time and attention, particularly because of the lead, uh, you know, Treasury Board policies that require um, different types of measurement frameworks and so on on new program proposals and things like that. That 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 gave us a very different flavor in our community um, than I think exists within the American, or at least that's my experience, just from other research I've done, let's say on ethics and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, I know I'm running on a bit but I have to go back to Kylie's comment because that was just so gratifying 
both hearing her say it, but others saying that too, as the process, although it was onerous and, and almost painful um, to go through and do go through these competencies and the descriptors and do the, the credentialing application is, was a really good process at the end of the day. And that to me was what we were all about. The whole professional designation program had a logic model and it, its main impact was to bring clarity and definition to our profession. And that to me hmm. is important. like that's so we understand ourselves and we can communicate who we are to others in a really cohesive and, and competent fashion. I always said while I was working on this project that I wasn't as wedded to having a credential as I was to having the discussion that led to it. So that's a nice lead into a question that I had, Heather, was um, what kind of uses have you seen or do you foresee for the competencies beyond the whole credentialing process? Well, and as I say, the credentialing credential could go away, and I still think this is an important, but it needs to be reviewed. I mean, there's been changes since we did these. They were approved in 2009, but they're basically written in 2008. And, you know, time flies quickly. That's five years ago. We haven't incorporated in here any of the nuances of around cultural competencies that have been approved recently by AEA. Um, since these competencies, and we were consulted, IDEAS, the International Development um, Association, has developed international development uh, competencies. So there's there's new... Uh, research and work being done in our profession that I think needs to be built in. These need to be, you know, reviewed and refreshed on a regular basis. But I, I see them being used as uh, by evaluators or by firms, by program managers or learning organizations. And, and they can be used in different ways. I mean, to design training, I've used it myself to design professional development courses. Um, and I know that the Consortium of Universities um, for education and evaluation, use it as a foundation for looking at the development of new academic courses. Um, I've lots of people. I've seen people do variations on a self-assessment tool where they've turned the table into mm -hmm. uh, extra columns and you know sort of put a gradation beside each of it, like um, unfamiliar. Uh, heard of it, not done it, uh, know a little bit, uh, on mastery, you know, <laughs> sort of different levels to use it as a self-assessment tool. And then it's been used, I, I think, in job descriptions in some of the consulting firms as a basis uh, for hiring and, and uh, uh, that sort of thing, not to mention um, in RFPs or, or you know, statements of work where program people can know from this what they should expect in terms of skills and knowledge from the people they hire or the people, the country, you know, the consultants they bring in. Yeah, it makes me think that it would be a great document for showing to my parents so they could really understand what I do. <laughs> you mean you haven't given them a copy of Eva the Evaluator yet? <laughs> Heather, I really appreciate you talking about some of the other uses of it because I agree. I, I think if the competency, which is sort of an experiment right now, right? Um, yes, and, and, absolutely. You know, I, I think all three of us have gone through that process and we know what it's like. But I've actually found it more useful in, in working with my staff to talk about self-development, that whole self-assessment piece. We've used it um, when we've actually posted for job descriptions. And it, from an organization point of view, it's actually really helped me try and explain to other uh, directors and managers um, what they should expect from evaluators and what's actually, you know, our job and, and how, where we're supposed to be competent in and above, you know, the other areas like ethics that you already talked about. 
and even salary classification. Lots of times in an organization, you have to give the, you know, the roles and responsibilities of a position, and then it goes over to a human resources entity to do mm-hmm. some sort of uh, salary designation or classification process. Where do you see this competencies framework and, you know, that, that uh, going in the next uh, five or 10 years? I don't really know. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that it, it, it continues to exist not necessarily in the form that it does now, you know, that it would evolve and different emphasis given on different aspects of this. Not sure we've captured in, in, a, in a very good way at all the whole issue of cultural competence and we're supposed to be a sort of a multi-ethnic um, community in Canada. So, you know, that, that would be a gap that I would see right up, right up front to them evolving. But I, I would hope they would continue to, to sort of guide the education and the professional development communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been interesting when I've shared it with uh, non-evaluators uh, in other departments in my health authority. They've said, wow, this looks really good. I wish we had something like this as well. It'll be interesting to see how well it adapts to other um, situations, cultural contexts. Yeah, exactly. How could it be augmented to capture um, you know, the very highly specialized areas mm-hmm. that some evaluators mm-hmm. have? Uh, you know, Maybe there's a, an adjunct to it in some way that... Um, has a technical expertise section or something. I don't know. Mm. Well, listen, Heather, this has been really, really interesting, and I'm hoping that it's uh, prompted a bit of thought and reflection on some of our listeners as well. So I do. I want to thank you for joining us today. And um, as James mentioned, we'll be putting up the uh, links to the competencies uh, on our website as well. Well, I really appreciate you inviting me. Thanks. Well, listen, for what it's worth, I know there were many other people involved, but Heather, just in in earnest, I really want to say thank you for all the work that you did on this because there's maybe not a lot of glory and there's uh, not a lot of, uh, you know, love shown to those put together these kind of documents, but I really use it um, almost every every week with, with somebody in our practice. It's incredibly helpful. And, uh, oh, that's great to hear, yeah. James. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So thanks, everybody, for listening to our show today with our guest, Heather Buchanan. Uh, so for those of you who want to get in touch with us, you can email us at adventuresandevaluationpodcast at gmail.com, or you can check us out at our website, adventuresandevaluation.podbean.com. Now, James, now up to almost 12,000 hits. Can you believe it? Well, that's a lot of people, wow. but is that the right metric? Yeah. Maybe that's another topic for another day. <laughs> Those are not unique IP addresses, so you're right. It's uh, there's there's um, a little bit of deceptiveness in those stats. Anyways, I have to go put my kid, send my kid to bed. So Heather, James, thanks very much, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Carly. Okay, take care. Bye. Too. Thanks, Bye. James.